we are going to be Second Chronicles 26. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the opportunity, the privilege that we have to be together, to sing, to praise, and also, Lord, to learn. And I ask now that you would help us to learn the truth from this passage in the Scriptures. Help us to see it not just as ancient history, but as teaching that gives us strong, hard things to think about. And so we ask for your Spirit to touch us and to challenge us and convict us. We ask in your name. Amen. Please be seated. And we're coming kind of to the end of our series in, uh, in Kings, um, of the Kings of Israel. I think we're going to do three more, and uh, then we'll be moving into the New Testament again. But it has been, for me, it's been kind of fun to do some of the lesser-known kings. Uh, I've spoken on David and some others, but to just pick out some for good reasons along the way that we wanted to touch on. And I think you'll see why uh, we wanted to, to work our, our way through this passage with um, Uzziah. Now, if you're not a football fan, please forgive me. Uh, but we are going somewhere with this. So, you know, with the last three or four weeks, as we've been watching the Chiefs play, I've been going, oh, man, this is fun, you know. Uh, against Pittsburgh, we had just a great time. And then um, against the Buffalo team, oh, man, I thought, that's it. Yeah, we're going to win the Super Bowl again this year. And the next game came out, and the first half I went, more of the same. That's good. That's really good. I like that half. Second half came out, and I went, what in the world happened? Talk about a good start and a terrible finish. Now, please hear me. I'm not trying to put anybody down with that statement. Just looking at it as it did really well and did really poorly. And that really fits in with Uzziah, who started really well and ended terribly. So as we look at that comparison, just keep that uh, good start, bad finish in mind as we study Uzziah. Now, Uzziah uh, was a king for 52 years. Uh, we remember that he was a good king and a bad king, both, mostly good it seems. Um, his reign had that really good start and then a terrible finish. Let's go ahead and put that chart up there, just so you get a kind of a feel. Um, <clears throat> and so what we're doing here is, see if this works. Yeah, here's where Uzziah is, and he's taking place around 767. By 722, all of the northern kingdom disappears into Assyria and they never come back. And then we have Hezekiah. There's a few in between there, but we have Hezekiah, and we'll be moving on. Eventually, there's the exile to Babylon there. So just so let's you know, this is kind of where we're at right now. That's where we're going to spend our time looking at just at um, <clears throat> at Uzziah and, and who he is and what he has done. So let's jump into chapter 26, verse 1, and we'll just go from there. All the people of Judah had crowned Amaziah's 16-year-old son Uzziah as king in his place, in place of his father. Uh, so <clears throat> he'd been made king, and it's possible, we think, that there was kind of a time frame when Amaziah and Uzziah were co-reigning. It's possible that Amaziah actually was captive for a period of time there. But during that time frame, Uzziah is learning the ropes and becoming a, a, a good king and learning what to do. And it says in verse t- 2, after his father's death, you know, he's now full-time king and everything. He says, Uzziah rebuilt the town of Elath. And it's one of the things where you think about what's so big and great about the town of Elath. Well, it's the place that Solomon had built up, and it was a port on the Gulf of Akba, so that from that area they could go out and do all kinds of trade. And um, 
this shows us on one level that what's going on with uh, with uh, Uzziah at this point is that the nation of Israel, we'll see as we keep going, uh, becomes big, almost as big as it was during the time of Solomon. I mean, Uzziah was an incredible king. Everything in the beginning and for a chunk of time went really well for him. The country was wealthy. They won all kinds of battles. And so we'll, we'll see those as we go along. But Elith, the reason why it's specifically mentioned is that when Solomon had that town, much of the gold and things that they had in trade came through that port. Now, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. His mother was Jeconiah of Jerusalem. Verse 4 tells us right away, he did what was pleasing in the, sight, in the Lord's sight. Uh, and that's a really important phrase. Very few kings was that said about, and he's one of them. Um, none of the kings of the northern kingdom in Israel ever had that said. None of them. And only a few scattered throughout. Now, David was the gold standard. You know, with all of his mistakes, he was still the man after God's own heart. And then everyone else was measured against David. And so if you did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, that was mentioned. Because for a period of time, perhaps fairly substantial time, uh, Uzziah was doing what God wanted him to do. Look at verse 5. Uzziah sought God... During the days of Zechariah, we don't know who that is, whether it was a priest who was actually teaching him what it meant to be a king and the laws of God, it's very possible. But during the years of, of, of um, <clears throat> Zechariah, who taught him to fear God, and look at what it says next, and as long as the king sought guidance from the Lord, God gave him success. Now remember, the nation of Israel was very unique in prophetic history, very unique in the covenants and promises of God. God told the people of Israel, if you will do the things I command you to do and you will follow me faithfully, I will bless you in every way. Economically, financially, you know, your, your, your flocks and everything will do great. Your families will have, you'll have lots of kids. You'll expand the nation. That was the promise if they would obey and follow God. And yet, what do we see? From the judges on, time after time after time, they turned away from God, and they had to come back and repent, and the nation would again follow him. Well, he starts out that way. He starts out following God and seeking after God. And, um, you know, there's no, it's, it's absolutely incredible what God does for him. So look at verse 5 again. Let's look at it from the net translation. It says, He followed God during the lifetime of Zechariah, who taught him how to honor God. And as long as he followed the Lord, God caused him to succeed. I love the way it's put. So Uzziah's good start so far. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He sought after God. He, As long as he was following God, he had success in everything. The battles, he won the battles. He won the trade wars. You name it, he, he won everything. Verse 6. Uzziah declared war on the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jaffna, Ashdod, and then built new towns in Ashdod area and in other parts of Philistia. So here's the first thing he does. And he says, okay, now we're going to take care of some problems that we've had for a while. We're going to get rid of the Philistines or we're going to bring them under subjection. And so he goes out and he wages war on the Philistines and he wins everywhere he goes. 
I mean, he wins resoundingly. And so what does he do then? He resettles groups of soldiers in towns in Philistia. So they've got towns that they can be working out of. And these towns were probably walled and head towers. And so he's got groups of soldiers in Philistine territory to keep an eye on what's going on. This is a smart general. He's making sure that as the, as the territory that he controls is, is expanding that he's also protecting it. He sets up defenses that are incredible. And that's one of the things that he does. And look at what it says. God helped him in the wars against Philistia, his battles with the Arabs of Gur, his wars with the Menuhites, and the Menuhites paid him an annual tribute, and his fame spread even to Egypt, for he had become very powerful. Again, that's God's at work. God's doing some incredible things. And this man is responding, and he's seeking after God. And and as he's seeking after God, what happens is God blesses everything he touches. He blesses the military side of things. He blesses the financial side of things. Everything he does is going really, really well. He starts to collect tribute from countries that they hadn't gotten tribute for in a long time. Now, in his victories over the Philistines, you know, he's, he's again making sure he's expanding the territory that Israel controls and taking care of it by putting soldiers in those towns that they had rebuilt. So now that's part of the military. We'll be back to the military again in verse 11. But in verse 10 gives us another side <clears throat> of King Uzziah. He rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Remember, they'd been torn down. Uh, I think it was during his father's reign. They came in, they attacked the city, tore down everything, emptied the treasuries. Well, he constructed the, the walls of Jerusalem again. Verse 10 says he constructed forts in the wilderness, dug many water cisterns, because he kept great herds of livestock in the foothills of Judah and on the plains. He was also a man who loved the soil. He had many workers who cared for his farms and vineyards, both on the hillsides and in the fertile valley. So now you've gone from, okay, he's doing all this stuff militarily, but not only that, think of what he's doing when it comes to agriculture. This is a guy who understood that the land was God's land given to them for for proper use. And so he built these towers that were probably towers for the shepherds and the farmers to be able to keep an eye on things. And then he had huge flocks. Huge, huge herds. And he had dug cisterns all over the place to collect rainwater. So there was always a way of getting water for the animals. So he did incredible things in agriculture. And I love the phrase that says he was a man who loved the soil. On one level, it's as if he's saying, you know what? God gave us this land. We need to be honoring him by using it in the way that he intended. And so he is coming out with all the military stuff and all of the, the stuff that a general would. Now he's coming into this whole thing and saying, hey, let's look at what we can do with the land. And, and he had lots of people working for him. And it wasn't something that he had to indenture people. The profits from what he was doing were so big that he didn't have to tax the people in order to continue the stuff that a king would normally do. Then we go back to the army again, verse 11. Uzziah had an army of well-trained warriors. Many times in those days, if they needed an army, they would just say, okay, send all the men from, you know, 18 to 50 or whatever, bring your swords, you know. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to march into battle unit by unit. So he had organized everything. He had leaders over groups. And the leaders, it says in uh, verse 12, 
were the command lead, were commanded by um, they were clan leaders in each of the tribes. So all the, this whole area, the clan leader there would be in charge of that regiment or that group of soldiers. The army consisted, verse thirteen, of three hundred and seven thousand five hundred men, all. Elite troops. They don't become an elite troop just because they come by your house and say, oh, by the way, you're in the army. You become an elite troop because the people who are over you train you and work with you and help you to use all the weapons that you have. So they were well trained. They were an elite force. Um, this is interesting here. Um, Uzziah, verse 14, provided the entire army, okay, so the entire army, 307,500 of them, with shields, Spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and sling stones. So every man in the army didn't have to go out and try to find a sword or anything. They just had to be fitted for the stuff the king was providing. These were well-trained troops, and now they were well-provisioned. They had all that they needed to be able to defend themselves and to be able to attack as he built the structures of Jerusalem, he designed by experts and in, in, in the towers and the corners that they built. Um, it says here, um, experts designed things to protect those who shot the arrows and hurl large stones from the towers and the corners of the wall. His fame spread far and wide, and the Lord gave him marvelous help. He became very powerful. Now, there's a lot of discussion about that uh, verse 15, the part that talks about the things that he built on the walls of Jerusalem. And there's two sides of that. Some people think that what he, what's being discussed is some kind of a wall that would protect the archers as they shot down. That was one side that people take. The other side is that the, he built, really, essentially the first forms of catapults that would throw arrows, hundreds of arrows at a time, as well as the large stones. Now, just because I would like it to be that, that's what I choose. I can't prove that that's what it was. It was one of those two, and the argument goes back and forth between people, and they'll say, yeah, it had to be this. No, it had to be this. We don't know. But it was something that was so new that it helped the people in Jerusalem win when they had situations that they had to face. And it was also instituted in other places as well. So Uzziah's good start included well-trained warriors, well-led commanders, well-equipped soldiers, and then the whole idea of rebuilding the walls and towers and, and whatever this weaponry was that he designed and built to put on top of the walls. Some of that happened also in some of the small towns where they had walls and towers as well. Now, the important thing to think about as we get to this, this kind of dividing point, we have no idea how many years have gone by. Remember, he reigned 52 years. So at this point in his life, has 30 years gone by, 35 years? I mean, a lot of stuff has gotten done. You know, we're talking about conquering places and building cities and, you know, all that kind of stuff's happening. And so we just don't know. You know, is it 25 years go by, 30 years? We don't know. But at that point, then, is where things change a little bit. But up until this point, everything he touched, everything, God blessed. Okay, we're going to go to war against the Philistines. No problem. They're done. Okay, we'll build some structures in there to keep them under control. Yep, all set. Let's rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and let's put, you know, 
big towers there so that we can actually, you know, get hit our enemies. No problem. All of that goes well. Let's get going with the land. What are we going to do with with uh, growing flocks and herds and and planting vineyards? Okay, we're going to do that. And it took off and it prospered. Let's do this port city over here that Solomon built. Let's reestablish that and get that trade route going. All of it happened, and all of it was successful. That's what was going on with Uzziah. So verse 15, he built structures on the walls of Jerusalem designed by experts to protect those who shot arrows, hurled stones from towers, corners on the wall. His fame spread far and wide, for the Lord gave him marvelous help, and he became very powerful. Verse 16. But when he had become powerful, he also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord by his God by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the altar. So, um, verse 16 in the, in the net translation says it this way. Once he became powerful, his pride destroyed him because he disobeyed the Lord. Or the word is also translated unfaithful or broke faith with. And so here he is at the peak of the widest expansion in the nation of Israel since, since Solomon. Economically, things are great. Militarily, things are great. And... Pride, his arrogance, destroyed it all. Um, we don't know exactly what happened. He, let's go ahead and put the first picture up. Um, this is actually the temple of the times of, of Christ, but it's, the idea is there. This is the actual temple itself. The holy place is in there and the holy of holies is behind. And people were allowed to be in this area. They could be by the altars. They could be there. And so the king was allowed anywhere in this area. Again, like I said, this stuff wasn't there, but the temple part was. And um, so he was able to go in and be by the altar that was you know, offering sacrifices and do all that kind of stuff. But what does it say? It says... He entered the sanctuary. Let's go and do the next one. And personally offered incense. So this is a cutaway. This right here would be the Holy of Holies. So back there that would have been draped off. But he went into the holy place where only Levites and priests were supposed to be. And there's an incense altar there that was burned morning and evening. And only the priests were allowed to do that. So he comes into the temple and... I mean, he just goes straight in, and he apparently grabbed an incense, grabbed the incense on the way in. And so he goes into where he shouldn't be, which is the inside of the temple, the holy place. And immediately, I love what comes next. Verse 17, Azariah, the high priest, went in after him with 80 other priests of the Lord, all brave men. Why would they have to all be brave men? Uh, this is a very powerful king. Not that he'd take on all 80 of them himself, but this is a man who could have had them all executed. And so the high priest goes in to confront him, and 80 other guys go in with him. So now you've got Uzziah and 80 priests kind of with a showdown together there in that spot. Now, the, this quote 
that I came across really I thought was helpful. Go ahead and put the next slide up there. Genuine worship of God always begins with obedience to his commands. This king was no dummy. This king was, was really bright. This king had been taught. He knew he had no right in the holy place and no right to offer incense. But for whatever reason, that had gotten twisted around in his mind, and he thought, well, I can do this. And he grabbed the incense and headed in. There's some question as to whether or not he actually offered the incense or was attempting to. The translations take different views on that. <clears throat> but in verse 18, they confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is the work of the priests alone the descendants of Aaron, who are set apart for this work. Get out of the sanctuary. You have sinned, and the Lord God will not honor you. This is strong words. This is the most powerful man in Israel. This is the man that outside of the temple could do anything he wanted to. At this point, by himself, he's facing up to 80 priests. Um... In some of the pagan religions, and maybe this is where it came from, we don't know why what gave him this idea. Some of the pagan religions around, the king was one of the priesthood, many times the high priest. So it's, it may have been thinking that, oh yeah, well, you know, I should actually be part of the priesthood. We really don't know. Um, but he took on a role that was not his. He was the king of Israel, king of Judah. He, he had no business being inside the holy place and no business trying to offer the incense. Verse 19 is kind of an interesting verse. Uzziah, who was holding an incense burner, became furious. As he was standing there raging, one of the translations said, as he stood standing there ranting and raving at the priests before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. Now the word translated leprosy is something that referred to a whole bunch of different skin diseases, but it was something that happened quickly. In some cases, I think it was Miriam, was white as snow when she disobeyed God. And it's just like that. So Uzziah now has has leprosy that has broken out on his forehead, and um, the, the priests kind of take a step back, I'm sure. And then Azariah, the high priest and all the other priests saw the leprosy and rushed him out. And this is really kind of a great statement. The king himself was eager to get out because the Lord had struck him. Do you think maybe all of a sudden Uzziah thought, uh-oh, that was a dumb idea? I think he did. If you want to talk about social distancing, that's yeah, right here. <clears throat> when Azariah, the high priest, and all the others, they, they take him out. Verse 21, King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. And he lived in isolation. In a separate house, for he was excluded from the temple of the Lord. And by the way, from company with anybody else. He was under house arrest, if you will. I mean, he could try to go anywhere he wanted to, but he wouldn't have been able to go anywhere because nobody wanted to be near him. And his son Jotham was put in charge of the royal palace, and he governed the people. So at the start of his life, he was a co-reigning with his father, and now he's co-reigning on some level with his son, Jotham, who's been put in charge of the kingdom. Eventually, he dies, 
And he's not buried with the king. It's because of the leprosy he's buried somewhere. And there's all kinds of discussion exactly what that means. But I think the bottom line is he didn't get into the king's burial area, but somewhere near. This quote really struck me as I was thinking through these verses. He had come to God in arrogance. And he left his presence humiliated and stained by the disease that God had sent in judgment. There are other people who went into places they weren't supposed to who died immediately. On some level, this might have been God's grace saying, okay, you've been a good king and you followed me all along. I'm going to put you in isolation, but I'm not taking your life. And there's where good start, bad finish. Again, we don't know how many years he was in isolation uh, was it 30 and 20? We don't know. I, I speculate it was higher in the first half just because of all that he accomplished. But again, that's just speculation. Implication. What changed? Uzziah went from seeking after God, obeying God, being blessed by God. That's where he was. I mean, powerful man everyone loved and respected. This was the king. This was an amazing guy. Verse 5, he followed God during the life of Zechariah, who taught him how to honor God. And as long as he followed the Lord, that's, that's all it took, was being faithful to God. God caused him to succeed. Verse 5, in the ESV says, he set himself to seek God. He made a determination. This is what I want to do. I want to seek after God. I want to obey God. I want to know God. And that was where it all started. And God blessed that. He started well and went for a long period of time really well. But something happened and all of a sudden he wasn't seeking God as much and he wasn't seeking to obey God. And at some point he made it up in his mind, hey, you know what? I have as much right to be in the holy place as anybody. I'm going to grab that thing of incense and I'm going to go in and I'm going to offer the incense. And in doing that, he deliberately went against the things that he knew. He had been taught. Only the priests can go in there. <clears throat> Many years later, Jeremiah warned the nation about remaining faithful because that's really what the word is when it says he, he turned away from God. It says he, he broke faith. He was unfaithful to God when he went this direction in his pride. And Jeremiah is writing to people again about being faithful. And this is what he says. Be appalled at this heavens. Be shocked and utterly desolate. This is the Lord's declaration. And here's the statement. This is a verse that has come back to me over and over and over through my life. For my people have committed a double evil. The first one, they've abandoned me. And by the way, I am the fountain of living water. So they've abandoned me and all that I am. And they dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. The cisterns were those things that you would dig out, and sometimes you lined them with clay. Sometimes it was just limestone, a big old hole. It was designed so that the rainwater could be collected and brought into the cistern and kept for use again. But it wasn't where you wanted to go for your drinking water. I mean, the cistern was a place that you would feed your animals out of or water your crops from, that kind of a thing. But it was many times water that just, you know, was in there. Cisterns also could leak. 
<clears throat> and the phrase fountain of living water really refers to a a brook or a stream or a fountain that is clear and pure and never ending it never goes dry even in the worst of droughts a fountain of living water was known for being for being there and he said you have turned away from me and i am the living water and you're digging a hole in the ground filling it with rainwater and mud and somehow that's going to satisfy you and so he said, there's the evil. You've turned away from me, and not only that, you've then dug your own holes, and you want to try to live without me. You don't have anything to do with me. And they turned away from God and tried to make their life work without God. That's what they were doing when they dug the cisterns. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I think sometimes we have to stop and look at ourselves and ask ourselves, are we trying to make life work without God? We're trying to do things without seeking Him and trusting Him and being faithful to Him. Because if we are, we're digging cisterns. Cisterns that can't even keep the water, but, you know, that's what we're doing. Why did Uzziah turn his back on God? We don't know. But he turned away from God's ways, tried his own way of making life work, and ended up, in absolute misery. May it never be said of us that we have abandoned the Lord our God, that we have walked away from the fountain of living water and tried to make our life work on our own. May that never be the case for any of us. What do we take away from this today? It was obvious that God was the one blessing Uzziah. Verse 5, as long as he sought the Lord... As long as he pursued the Lord, as long as he tried to know him and made it his purpose to, to seek after God, God gave him success. God helped him against his enemies. And then in verse 15, his fame spread far and wide. The Lord gave him marvelous help, and he became very powerful. How long? We don't know. My personal guess, and that's all it is, is 25, 30 years maybe, but we don't know what, we don't know how long it was and we don't know what changed. But his heart no longer sought after God. He was pursuing God and seeking God and success everywhere in every possible area of life. And suddenly, in pride and arrogance, he turned away and he was unfaithful and he broke faith with God and walked away into the worst sort of disobedience. <clears throat> he chose to do something he knew was wrong. Enter the holy place of the temple and try to offer incense. Proverbs gives us a great picture of exactly what happened to Uzziah. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. It's a verse if you've been in church any time in your life, you've heard and maybe you've even memorized, but Sometimes we take those simple, clear verses and kind of put them to one side. But the message here is clear. Pride comes before destruction, arrogance before a fall. came across this thought as I was studying this week. and said, pride is like a dandelion. 
Uh, it has this long root that goes way down deep, and you can't even see it. But if you pull out that dandelion, any part of that root stays, it comes back. And if you don't take care of it at all, it spreads like wildfire. Pride is like a dandelion. There have been times in my own life <clears throat> when pride and arrogance over something, uh, whatever it was, have, have caused me to be and to feel deeply hurt or even insulted. And maybe what I had done was not recognized, or maybe people didn't realize the amount of work that had happened to make whatever it was happen. And maybe someone else got all the credit for what I had done. And in the corners, those quiet corners of my heart, the dandelion of pride just started to grow. Not a fun thing when we look at what it really means. I found only only one cure for pride. It's expressed really well in this old song. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain, all the things that I've accomplished, all the ways that I've done, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. There's no room for pride at the foot of the cross, is there? We are all there the same. Sinners in need of God's mercy and grace. The cross reminds us life is not about us, ever. No matter how much we want it to be, it is not. The second verse says, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to your blood. best cure for pride and arrogance in our hearts and lives is the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the clear-cut way that you show us your truth. And we see in the life of Uzziah so many incredible things, and yet turning away from you, trying to make life work without you. Lord, please, I pray for myself this week and each person that's here, Lord, may we never think that somehow we can do it and we really don't need you. May we come regularly to the foot of the cross and pour contempt on all our pride. We ask this in your name. Amen.